In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Merry Christmas. Christ is born. Let us adore him indeed. We're going to be in Titus chapter 3 tonight. And we're doing the last of our, um, where Paul says, this is a faithful saying. These are words that we need to wait by. These are sure words we can take to the bank. We can bet our life on these words. That's what Paul means when he says, this is a faithful saying, or the saying is faithful. So this is the last one. It's in Titus chapter 3. Many of you have probably heard this Christmas song growing up. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Who's coming to town? There you go. You guys know it then. All right. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Have you been naughty? Or have you been nice? Or what if being neither naughty nor nice was enough? And here's the reason we ask this. Did Christ really come so that we could be nice? Christ was not born so that we could be nice. Christ was born so that we can become sons and daughters of God. Nice is way too little. Here's what St. Athanasius of Alexandria, the great champion for the Trinity, for the, uh, for the divinity of Christ in the fourth century, said this, The Son of God became man so that we might become God. That's not a Mormon statement. That's a Christian saying that. And he's saying is, here's another line from him. He became what we are that we might become what he is. He's not saying we become God in place of God or we become equal with God. Christ, who is 100% God, became 100% human so that we who are 100% human may share in that divine nature. This is why Christ came, to be the bridge, to bring humanity and divinity together. And that is happening in the church, that is happening in the Christian, that is happening in you and in me as we pursue and worship Christ. We are becoming more like him as he became us. This is far more then are you naughty or nice? Which is the majority of our ideas about Christianity. We're supposed to be nice people. Hmm. Okay, so Titus 3, let's read it, verse 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Basically summarizes the history of humanity. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. Everything we just read. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This letter to Titus, by Paul to Titus, is much like the letters we had already seen that he wrote to Timothy. Titus was one of his sons of the faith. He was raising him up, teaching him, and now he was ready to be sent to the island of Crete to sort of tame the wildness of the church in that wild island. The letter moves so that you know what we're reading here. It moves basically in three parts. In the first chapter, he's giving instructions to Titus. Here's how I want you to lead the church, Titus. I mean, you're just dropping this kid off in this wild island. Here's what I want you to do, Titus. Chapter two is about, this is how the church is to live, or this is how we live in the church. This is how the family of God behaves among themselves. And then in chapter three, he's talking about, this is how the church lives in the world. So now this is, he's addressing our attitude as we go out of our church services and live Monday through Saturday. That's what chapter three is discussing. So you heard it was bookended with good works. Verse one talked about good works and verse eight talked about good works. In the center is this juicy piece of theology. Now, when I was reading it, some of you were like, oh, here are these words again. Paul's being Paul. Um, But those words tell us how to do good works so that you're definitely not naughty and you're not nice either. You are a son of, You are a daughter of the Most High. The island of Crete. What kind of a place was this? Um, You might have heard some of the rumors. In fact, if you actually look at chapter 2, no, it's chapter 1, verse 12. uh, Paul cites one of their own proverbs about them. 1 verse 12 says this. One of the Cretans, a Cretan is a person from Crete, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's actually true. Crete was was a wild island. Um, One ancient writer that I was reading some excerpts and one ancient writer actually quipped that though the island of Crete no longer has wild beasts, it is not lacking in wild men. Um, It it was a haven for pirates because Crete was an island just off the coast of Greece. So pirates kind of docked in there and sort of hid out from the law. And of course, we're visiting the taverns and it was probably a wild scene. Um, It was a home for, believe it or not, it was a home for ancient feminism. Crete was the happening place for girl power. It was, uh, it had in the cities on the island, they had intense, intense rivalries with one another. Football or soccer in the Europe world, um, the rivalries are intense, right? In the British Premier League and stuff, the rivalries are intense between cities. Uh, that holds nothing to Crete. Or maybe in our context, we're familiar with LA and San Francisco, Dodgers and Giants. There's, there's a rivalry there. But man, it went beyond sports for Crete. It was everything about the city. We are beating each other up to be the best city on the island. 
Uh, Crete had a reputation, as you heard from Paul, for lying, so much so that to Cretize became a word that the Greeks created. To Cretize is to lie or deceive. So it would be like to say, don't go Americanize me. I don't know what that means, but it may be in your head. It means something. To Cretize is to lie or deceive. In fact, they actually refer to the Cretan point of view to say, you say, oh, that's a Cretan point of view when you feel like somebody was exaggerating or being deceitful. <laughs> that's the island that we're dealing with. I want to read what a commentator said. He just, he gives you a good little nutshell. Uh, he said this, Crete was a self-indulgent, belligerent, wild, immoral society, sexual promiscuity, gluttony at feasts where immoral activities frequently took place, and lying characterized what was widely held to be the way of life on Crete. When it talked about gluttony at feasts where most of the immoral activities frequently took place, I hope that doesn't happen next door in a few half hour or so. Let's not let that happen, okay? <laughs> Don't be a Cretan. Uh, but the church of Crete. So why was Titus dropped off? The culture was terrible, but what was going on with the church? Well, the church had teachers, and Paul addresses them in the letter. He, they had teachers who were unwilling to criticize the culture of Crete. So, in other words, we're not disengaging from the way our culture is behaving. We are going along with it. There are things of the Cretan culture which are creeping in, and the teachers are not addressing those. In other words, there was an attitude in the Cretan church, let's just be nice and respected by culture. We just offer a different flavor of worship. Well, Paul is going to have none of that. That's why he calls Titus to remind them to be ready for every good work. So good works. Uh, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. The rivalries of Crete, people are slandering each other all the time. Don't do that, Christian. Avoid quarreling with the teachers who are, just don't quarrel with them. Titus is here to straighten things out. Uh, be gentle and show perfect courtesy to all people. Now, we as Americans can read this and think he's saying, oh, just be, be a good citizen, pay your taxes and respect the government and just live this peaceful, quiet life. Paul is not telling the church here to just live a quiet low-key life, he's telling them to actually press against the culture because what he's calling them to do are the things that the Cretan culture does not do. This is not just about being respectable or nice. We seem way too caught up in this idea in our own culture. I actually, I think there's some similarities here. The church in America just wants to be nice. We don't want to step on toes. Whatever it takes to get people to like Jesus, maybe we can get them to love him, but just like us and like him. We have this weird self-esteem issue, <laughs> the church in our country. We're not nice. We're not respectable. We are new. We are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's far more than being nice. Um... We're not consumed. We shouldn't be, at least. We shouldn't be consumed with our reputation. We should be consumed with how to bring transformation to the world. Yep, people hate change. Christian, we were not called to be loved in what we do. We were called to do what the one we loved asked us to do. Of course, we do so with love for humanity, 
But we don't say, well, I mean, good enough. We want to rock the boat here. In verse uh, 3, we see this transformation that Paul's reminding the Christians, look, you've been changed, don't stop being changed. Uh, In verse 3, he said, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures. That's, by the way, a sequence. You're foolish, which means you're you're tuning God out, you're ignoring him, which leads to disobedience, which leads to being led astray. No one gets up and says, I want to become a slave of pornography, a slave of alcoholism, a slave to money, a slave to the opinions and pleasures of other people. No one wakes up and says, that sounds like a good idea to be enslaved. You start by ignoring God, by being disobedient, and soon you're led astray because this option seems a lot better than God's option. And then it leads forth to your slaves to various passions and pleasures various passions. Passion doesn't mean like, oh, I'm really passionate about my job. I really love what I do. That's not what he means by being enslaved to the passions. The passions are a spiritual disease which dominate the soul. It takes over you. See, the more we fall into the same sin and the more we continue to repeat it, the more it becomes second nature. So that when an opportunity comes, you don't even think anymore. You obey. That's a slave. That's what a passion is. So when the passion of greed takes you, greed is how you think. When the passion of lust takes you, lust is how you think. When the passion of gluttony and so forth, when these take you, these are what you do by nature. And that's a sad position for those who are being called to participate in the divine nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then he talks about pleasures, malice, and envy, hatred. All of these are the fruits of being enslaved to passions. But, don't you love it in the Bible? Paul loves to use the word, but to change the circumstances. Here's our trustworthy saying. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. What happened? He appeared. When did he appear? Christmas. When the loving kindness and the goodness of our Savior appeared. When Christ was born, it wasn't just, okay, well, now the ministry can start. It changed the world by his coming. When he appeared, verse 5 tells us the basis of our salvation. Verse 5 says he saved us. So when? Well, when he came, he saved us not because of works, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So it's not by works, right? It's not by my goodness. It's by his mercy that we're saved. And then the next part of verse five tells us how the salvation gets to us. How does this, his mercy, how does his salvation enter into us? It's by the washing of regeneration and renewal. Regeneration and renewal are basically the same concept. You're being changed. You're being renewed. Your nature is being recreated by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's how. Not by my works, but because God has enabled the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us so that he can wash us, regenerate us, renew us to live this life. The Spirit comes into me and connects my spirit with God's Spirit 
so that I am connected with the triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit come into me through the Holy Spirit. That's how we are connected with God. Our body, soul, spirit become one with Father, Son, and Spirit. I mean, yes, it's imperfect right now, but the connection has begun, and we will have all of eternity to get that connection more solid and deeper and grow in that forever and ever. But it comes through the pouring of the Holy Spirit. And so then in verse 7, we see the goal of this salvation. So that, why did he save us? Why did he give us the Spirit? So that, being justified, that means you're counted as right, you're, you're in good standing, so that having good standing by his grace, Christ's grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs. You know what a son of a landowner received when the landowner died? You received the inheritance. Christ is the heir of the kingdom. We are also sons and daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters of Christ, and we too are heirs. Romans 8 even says we are co-heirs of the inheritance to come. And so we have forever and ever um, to grow in our nature in him and in our ever-abiding union with him to become more and more like him. Here, here's, 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 well, you know, I'm going to get to that later. I need, I need to like not take forever tonight because that candle's getting low. <laughs> That's not really why, but um, other reasons. So our good works, in other words. So Paul's asked for good works. He closes with good works. How does all this happen? He doesn't say, Christian, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Christian, why don't you go to self-help seminars? Why don't you bring in expert speakers and give you the 10 ways to tap into your inner potential? I mean, there's good and bad things and all of that, right? But he's saying that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon us so that the Spirit, it is the nature of God inside of us that works the good works out of us. That's where the source and the power comes from. And behind Paul's... Um, Wording here is the prophecy from Ezekiel 36, where Ezekiel said, or God saying through him, I will sprinkle clean water on you. What did he say? The salvation's by the washing of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, renewal, regeneration. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A soft heart, in other words. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. How are we going to do God's statutes and rules? Ezekiel said, I'm going to put my spirit, my presence within you. And that will cause you. Me and you will cause you. Two, walk in my ways. We're not nice. We're not mimicking. Nice is even kindness. There's a whole other reason to talk about that. But we're not just trying to make people feel better or feel better about ourselves. We have the presence of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. This is why we cannot save ourselves by works, by the way. Why Paul says this is an act of mercy. It's not by my works. Because, okay, let's say, just pretend for a second. Just pretend that you could actually work your way into heaven. So Jim here is just doing great deeds all the time. And um, I have no doubt that that's true. And he's just ascending this ladder. And he actually, uh, uh, he pleases God to the point that God's like, Jim, come and 
to heaven. Okay, cool. Like, what if you could do that? That wouldn't change your nature. Do you understand that? Jim would still be this being that wrestles with the passions that is constantly struggling against sin, even in heaven. Because it is not we who work our way there. It's when God enters into us and our nature unites with the divine nature. That is what a Christian is. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. And Jim can never work his way into the divine nature. Only God can make us like him when he comes into us. My being a good person will never make me like his nature. I might imitate his footsteps, but I can never have his nature through my works. That's why good works are not enough. Christ became man so that the Father could pass the power and grace of the Holy Spirit to us through Christ. Did you hear that? Christ became a man so that the Father could pass the power and grace of the Holy Spirit to us through Christ. There's a Trinitarian ring in there, which is right here in our text in verse 6. He said, um, Whom, that's the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. The Father poured the Holy Spirit out upon us through Jesus Christ. This is also resonant with what Peter preached the very first sermon um, after Jesus ascended into heaven. His sermon concluded in Acts 2 verse 33 like this, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What is Peter saying? When Jesus ascended into heaven, the Father gave to him the promise of the Spirit and Christ gave the Spirit to us. Why is this an important distinction? Why is it important to see the Trinity at play here? Because the reason we are able to receive the Holy Spirit into our nature is because Christ partook of our nature. The Father couldn't just send the Holy Spirit into us and make us like him unless God himself took our nature and united it to his own nature in the actual person of Jesus Christ. That's why the Father brings the Spirit to us through the Son, because he has a human nature and a divine nature. What's the problem with nice? Like, really, what's the problem? Everyone wants to be nice. But contrary to our Santa Claus myths, <laughs> nice is not necessarily an improvement on naughty. Actually, nice is not far from a vice. It's one letter different, and if you take a V and turn it upside down, you kind of have nice right there. Um, like the Cretans, the church today is really consumed with having nice people, nice lives, and what a, what a nice church service. I mean, truly, we aim. It seems that we as a people aim to just make things nice and comfortable for the saints. But what's the problem with that? Well, I can tell you at least three problems. For time's sake, we'll do three. <laughs> nice cannot change the world. It will never. Nice will never change the world because nice maintains the status quo. Nice people are people in our society who don't rock the boat. You go to a party, 
and you're just nice because you're just like this passive vanilla presence. Not a threat to anyone, just what a nice guy. That's what you say to, about people whom you don't really know what else to say about them. They're not mean. They're just nice. Kind is when like, you actively meet people's needs and are, are building up love in their lives. That's kindness. Nice doesn't do that. Nice is just like, you're polite, you have etiquette, you're respectful, but you're really passive and you, you bring no change with you. Nice people, for starts, let's just do this. Nice people don't call sin, sin. And that's actually what our culture's number one moral pursuit is, is to be nice. And Christians too, they just want to be nice. They don't want to upset anyone. Just be nice. So we, we go along with this whole parade of just accept people the way they are. Even if we secretly think it's not good for them, it's not nice to say otherwise. That's where we are. Nice is the ultimate virtue in, in America. And nice is the attempt to fit in with the world's scheme. Nice people want to be respected and accepted. So this means nice people avoid criticism, which means you avoid change. So the teachers of Crete were not criticizing the culture. Because we want to be respectable to our outside brothers and sisters. Yes, be respectable, but don't just, oh, everything you're doing is great. We just add Jesus to our life. We're just like you. Really? You're not a son or daughter of God if that's what you're thinking. Like, you're, no, your nature is so different. So first, nice cannot change the world. Second, nice is actually a selfish motive. Nice is a selfish motive because nice wants others to think well of us. So you're nice to people. I want them to think I'm just a nice chap. Don't want to be the one who you know, gets in the way. Our self-esteem wants to be admired, so we bend our behavior toward attaining the praise of others. Nice people have a self-esteem problem. Nice is also a selfish motive because nice is closer to vice than a virtue, if you think about it, because nice is focused on people and how to orient their praise toward me, but a virtue is oriented toward God and how to orient his praise toward me. I care about God's opinion, and when I live that way, I develop the virtues. But when I care about other people's opinions, that's a vice, because now I enslave my actions, I enslave my words to their opinions, and I'm now forever stuck in what people think of me, because I just need to be nice, liked, accepted. So nice cannot change the world. Nice is a selfish motive. And third, nice is boring and blunts the power of the gospel. If a Christian is known as only nice, we have robbed God of his unique, life-changing power. We are not nice. We are creatures of the new nature. Um, yeah. But this is how culture has come to view Christianity, frankly. Christianity is nice. Christians are nice. Their churches are nice. They offer something nice. But guess what? Some people think yoga is nice. Bakeries are nice. Hotels are nice. Like, where's the difference? We've blunted the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ by just trying to be nice, just like everyone else. We just have clean smiles and we hide all the demons of our closets back here. We're just nice. It's so pathetic. But the culture literally thinks of Christianity as nice. So I don't know if you've, I don't know how many guys watch TV. I don't watch TV a lot at all. Like, when my students are talking about something, I'm like, yep, no, I have no interest. I don't know. I'm like, Psh. I, but there are like two things I'm ever watching at one time. And one is um, uh, 
I, I watched The Good Place. It's this, it's this com, it's a philosophical comedy on ethics. I know it's really nerdy and weird. That's probably why I liked it. Um, but what the idea is that people die and they go to either the bad place or the good place. And it ultimately, um, at the end, the characters are able to work themselves into the good place. But here's where I saw the total misunderstanding of Christianity. Because obviously the good place is heaven without making people feel uncomfortable, right? Uh, when they get to the good place, it's so nice. The scenery is nice. The colors are nice. The sounds are nice. And that's what they keep saying. It's so nice. And then there's literally a stationary pond headphones and you hear all the nice things people said about you while you're alive. It's just everything is so nice. But what ends up happening is that what they discover is the people who have been there for a while, are so bored with the good place. It becomes bland, it becomes boring, and the inhabitants want out. There's a moment they go, don't stay here, save us, get out while you can. And then they go back to being nice. What in the world? And that's that's our culture's view of heaven. It's just like cherubs floating, it's just so nice. Are you kidding me? Did you read verse 7? Heaven's not a nice place. It's so that we, the whole reason we're saved is so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If the nature of God is given to me in the Holy Spirit and I am being ever so gradually drawn virtue by virtue to the likeness of Christ himself, I'm never going to attain much in this life. I mean, I pray, Lord, that I have attained way more than 10 years ago that I'm growing, right? I hope we all are and that I have more of a union with Christ than I did before. But listen, Is God infinite or is he finite? That's not a trick question. He's infinite. Is he a creator or created? Creator. Is he eternal? Yes. Is he infinite? We just did that one. Yes, he's all these things. So listen, brother, sister, can you ever attain his nature? If I gave you 10 billion years without any sinful hindrances, will you? become just like God? Never. Eternity is about the ever-growing and going progression of becoming more and more and more and more and more and more like God in his essence without actually becoming him. That's the gospel, that we have this eternal progression. And as Lewis captures this in his stories, C.S. Lewis, that is, in his stories, he captures this by having the new Narnia being a place where you can constantly go further up and further in, and there's no end. You keep climbing the mountains, you keep going higher into the greater glory, and you stop only if you want. There's no end. That is what the power of the gospel is. We're not nice people destined for a nice place. That's way too weak sauce. So I want to close this by talking about the miracle of obedience. It does come together. Jesus was not born to make us nice. He was born to make us sons and daughters of God. You got that. As we've seen, the Holy Spirit is given to us to be the source of our good works. So we can't actually, as a Christian, if you receive the Holy Spirit, you cannot ever be merely nice. It's impossible. You're being renewed. That's what Christmas is actually about. It's about because Christ became one of us, the Holy Spirit can be given to us and that we can become like God. No more naughty and nice. No more 
Santa Claus is kind of like Jesus. He's coming to town like Christ will come to the world one day. Like, it was like, no, no, like the Santa Claus myth is way too, needs jalapenos in it. Wow, that was the worst courtesy laugh I ever heard. Um, Matthew, <laughs> see, here's what, this is what, this is why I say this is what Christmas is about. Because in Matthew 1 verse 18, Matthew begins the Christmas story like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Could have stopped there. But he said, from the Holy Spirit. Matthew one twenty. As Joseph considered these things, what am I supposed to believe that story? An angel comes to him and appears to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is awesome. Nice. (laughs) No, from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Same in Luke's account. When Gabriel comes to Mary, he says, the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Mary asked what you and I would ask too. How is this possible? And then she adds for emphasis, I'm a virgin. And then the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's the Son of God because the Holy Spirit birthed, or I should say conceived Christ within her. So the Holy Spirit fills Mary. She conceives Christ is the Son of God. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can fill us and within us conceive Christ so that we can become sons and daughters of God? If we say, yes, Lord. The only reason this happened to Mary is because at the very end, Mary says to the angel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary said yes. Mary obeyed. Was filled with the Spirit. Conceived Christ. Obedience is our greatest struggle. What happened in the Garden of Eden with Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a battle of obedience. It was very simple. Don't eat from that tree. The serpent says, eat from this tree. Like, let's not overcomplicate this. It was a battle of obedience. It was Mary's will versus God's will. uh, Eve, excuse me. Eve's will versus God's will. And Eve chose her will. And Adam chose his will. But Eve, Mary, Mary chooses God's will. Mary redoes what Eve couldn't do. That's why Mary bears Christ to the world. That's why we had a long waiting period, because Eve chose to disobey. If we, like Mary, choose to obey, we, like Mary, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We, like Mary, will conceive Christ within us. We, like Mary, well, she bore the Son of God. We will, she was the daughter of God. We will become sons and daughters of God. She's a prototype, believer. She's the first of a kind that by bringing Christ into the world, many would follow after. Eve, Eve led us all astray. Mary says, it's okay, Eve, the Christ has come. I said yes where you couldn't. And Christ has come. Will we say yes to God's will? If we do, we will birth the good works. We will birth the good works that niceness can't accomplish. We will change the world in a way that niceness can't do. We will bring an edge to the gospel that cuts hearts and causes people to say, I want to run for the kingdom and away from that kingdom I was enslaved in, in a way that niceness cannot. When we say yes to God, the spirit fills us and we conceive the power and nature of Christ within us. And we accomplish works that we cannot do on our own. Wow. Merry Christmas. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.